heard my coffee. Sorry about that. Now that everybody wants some coffee, um, there's a big, well, two big pictures over there. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We are in the book of Acts. We have been in the book of Acts for about a month or so. And so uh, I invite you to open up to Acts 3. Um, I'm going to read the text. Well, first, I'm going to pray and then read the text. And then we will jump in. If I can get it. There it is. Acts chapter 3. Um, just as a, uh, a little bit of a reminder, we've been, um, for a little bit of time now, as we <clears throat> have been wanting to help people remember how to uh, think about Sunday morning and what's, what the Lord wants for us for Sunday morning, um, we've, we've adopted the, the three E's and now I've added a fourth one, but just as a, a continual reminder and we can, we can remind each other with this and you can remember this all throughout the week. When you're thinking about church attendance, what are the things that you need to think about? One is eager, that you are eager to come. You're excited to come. It's a good thing to be in, in um, fellowship with the rest of the other people. You're expectant. You're actually, before you're coming, expecting God to do something in your own heart and mind. So you're excited to be with, with the church and excited to worship God, but you're also expecting something. Always come expecting that the Lord will speak through his word. And then lastly, we're early. We, we get here before the service starts. Um, and then I've added a fourth one, a fourth E. It's not two, one word, but it's two. It's every Sunday that we are coming every single Sunday. We're seeing the amazing benefit that the Lord would call us to be a church family every Sunday and not... Um, I, I don't want for us, and this is the, you know, the repeated pattern all throughout every ch- pastor friend I talk with, is that um, their congregations just have people that have come twice a month. And that's just the kind of the way we've accepted. It wasn't my case. We, we, we got took, taken three times a week. And now, you know, this generation rebels against going three times a week and goes twice a month. But we, we don't do that. We're going to be against the grain. We're going to be countercultural at Remedy and go to church every Sunday. All right, so eager, expectant early every Sunday. Um, now I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we are going to be in um, Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, uh, the, the Spirit has just come, the Holy Spirit has just come and filled the believers in Acts chapter 2. And now Peter and John are going to live out what it looks like as Holy Spirit-filled people. And so we're going to see an encounter, of, if you will, a first encounter of what a Holy Spirit life kind of looks like as, as he encounters this man that's crippled at the beautiful gate. And then after that, verse 11 through 26 is Peter's second sermon. So people are like, what just happened? And Peter, bold Peter, I mean, he, he's, he preached once. And he's like, I kind of like this a little bit. I'm going to do it some more. And he stands up in Acts chapter 3, 11 and gives a second sermon. That's going to be next week. We're going to look at this, the, the sermon next week. We're just going to look at 1 through 10 here today. So um, let me pray and then we'll look at the text. And as we're looking at it, I want to help us um, frame the way we're going to look at it and understand um, how the Lord's going to direct us in regard to mission. Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing and kind and loving, and we are so thankful that you would give us your word, that you would give your very words to us so that we can um, read them and know you and love you and be reminded constantly of what Christ has done for us. And as we see continually the good news of Jesus, that he would die for us on on the cross and save us. That this, we would be reminded that this isn't just a message for unbelievers to hear in order to get saved, but also a message that believers need to constantly hear in order to continually live their lives as worship for you. 
And so I pray that you would help us um, as we look into your word to give us understanding, fill us with the spirit. And God, I pray that you engage all, all of us and every sense and being and part of us, all of our senses, all of our capacities, all of our emotions, all of our feelings, all of our intellect, that you would engage every aspect of us and that you would transform us to want to live for you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read the whole set of verses, um, and then we'll, we'll go back and kind of look at it, and, and I want you to see how it directs us in mission. Now, Peter and John <clears throat> were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that's about 3 p.m., and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid, the, the they there is likely his family and friends, the only people that would care for him. They, his family and friends, laid him daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate to ask for alms, that's money, and those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He called out to them. And Peter directed his gaze over, gaze over at him, as did John, and they said, look at us. And he, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I will give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all of the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor in England, commonly known as the doctor. He was a medical doctor before he became a pastor. Looking at this um, story says, here we see authentic Christianity and nothing else. Authentic in the sense that it's drawing our attention to the zeal, the vitality, the joy, and the Christ-focused nature that Luke wants us to see in regard to this. Um, now, as we've talked about many times, um, in systematic theology, Wayne Grudem, it's just a book about theology, but it's helpful when we talk about ecclesiology. It's helpful when we talk about the study of the church. He says, church, when you talk about church, has three functions or three purposes, if you will, um, as you look all the scriptures, all the verses that talk about the church, if you were to take all those verses and put them up on a wall and try to categorize them, you would end up putting them in basically three categories of the things, the churches, the purpose of the church, the things that they should do. The first thing is that they should worship God. They should come together and to raise and, and, and gaze and, and put their attention up towards the Lord. The second purpose is that they would also focus their attention on each other. Those that are Christians in the church, that they would build them up in Christ, see them become more holy, see them become more Christ-like. So it's both, it's not either or, it's both. And then there's a third nature. So there's an up, there's an inward, and there's an outward. There's a, an outward focus purpose where they have people that aren't in the church, people that don't know Jesus, that they reach for the gospel. And that, that reaching, that outward, is really two-pronged. It's mercy ministries and evangelism. It's both. So the three purposes of the church, worship God, grow the congregation, and reach out. And in that reaching out, you do it in a two-pronged manner, the mercy ministries and evangelism. Now, 
It's easy for us, I think, to just do the mercy ministries, but we have to do both. And we don't just do the evangelism. We do both. We do mercy ministries as well. So the name of our church is Remedy Church. And the most important word is not remedy. It's church. This is who we are. God has called us the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that whom he has called out of darkness to be his hands, his feet, his body, and proclaim his manifold wisdom, as Ephesians 3.10 says, to this dark world. And so we as the church should be doing these things, these three things, worshiping God, growing each other, and reaching out to the, to the world. Remedy Church, we've written our mission this way. And you'll see all three of those purposes. Anybody's mission statement of any church will, will always just take those three things I just said and put them in a short sentence, and that's what we've done. Um, Remedy Church's mission is to glorify God, that's the up, by fostering biblical community, that's the each other, um, j- joining Jesus on mission, that's reaching out, and then we put this last little part in practicing intentional care, and that's where we say because we want to care about both. So the mission of Remedy Church is to glorify God by fostering biblical community, joining Jesus on mission, and practicing intentional care. And so we as believers of Christ who are part of this church, that are, have been called to this church, we try to do that. That's why we say community mission care, community mission care. And we think we're fulfilling the, the purposes of the church, if you were to take all the verses of the Bible. So what we're going to do today then, um, and the reason why we picked the book of Acts is we, we went over the mission statement for three whole weeks before we started Acts. And we said, now we're going to look at the book of Acts and we're going to see repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly um, instances and examples of community mission and care happening. And so today... We're going to look at that second one, joining Jesus on mission. As we look at the text, you're going to see some keys to joining Jesus on mission. So what does it look like then for us to join Jesus on mission? And what are some keys from this particular text that will help you and I join Jesus on mission? He's already out there. He's already working. He's already providing opportunities. He's already doing stuff. And we as a church want to go out there and join Jesus on mission by doing mercy ministries and evangelism. We're going to look at that at the text today and see how that would look. Now, let's go to verse 1, and you're going to see these, these, um, these keys to joining Jesus on mission. First, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple. Now, first, Peter and John, and this, the juxtaposition of these two is, is rather astounding. You've got Peter, who fled at the cross is now working with John, the only one that remained loyal to Jesus um, and stood at the cross, now working together as apostles. And Peter is the one that's the leader here, at least for the first nine chapters of Acts until Paul gets saved. And then the rest of the Acts is about Paul, not Peter. Uh, But we have Peter and John here. And not only that, Peter and John were going, I want you to notice this, up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, couple things. Number one, they're going up to the temple. So they're keeping in with Jewish tradition. Before Jesus, they would go to the temple daily, presumably to offer sacrifices and do something else. Because of Christ, because of the one-time, all-time sacrifices, Hebrews said, they don't go to practice Old Testament practices anymore, but they still do keep with Jewish tradition and go to the temple daily, but now for prayer. So you've got Acts chapter 2, men of God, Holy Spirit filled, living out their faith every day. 
going to the temple, doing the things that Christians should do. They're practicing their faith every day. Here they're going to the hour of prayer the thir- the, from 3 p.m. to 4. But what we can see is that they've been Holy Spirit filled from Acts chapter 2. And from this, we see that there is a, an ongoing, daily, walking, intentional um, building up of their faith with Jesus. So as we're looking at that, as we're seeing that these men are actively living out their faith um, daily, we're looking at this from the idea of joining Jesus on mission, the first thing is this, and this, I didn't rewrite it. It wasn't written right in first service and I meant to fix it, but then I got to talking. So I know that's not written right, but I'm going to explain it. The first key to joining Jesus on mission before we go do anything is our own personal walk. We need to, like these men, be filled with the Spirit, living out our faith daily. And if we are living out our faith daily, the opportunities that God's putting in front of us will be far more visual, be far more seen. So the first key is our personal walk with Christ is so important. We need to be walking with the Spirit so that we will engage in missions. We don't engage in missions because God tells us. Instead, we're walking with Jesus. And as we're walking with Jesus, it's a natural outpouring of love for Christ and what He's done because we're already filled with the Spirit and living for Him that when opportunities come, we see them. So the first key in mission has nothing to do with mission. Instead, it has to do with you. That you are a man and a woman radically in love with Christ, living out your faith daily anyway, in the word, in prayer, um, doing the things that the Lord would want you to do. And if you're doing that, then this happens. And as they were going, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate called Beautiful, that is the beautiful gate, to ask for alms. And then Peter and John see him, and then they immediately see this opportunity. Because they are walking with Christ, the opportunity that's present, likely that had always been present, present, now that they're filled with the Spirit, walking and living out their faith, boom, they see it. So um, the first key is that we would be walking with Christ personally already living out our faith because we're filled with the Spirit and we will be much more in tune with engaging in mission. All right, so here we have uh, verse 2, a man lame from birth. So remember this is Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke is explaining and understands things that this is not a man that was injured and now is crippled or lame. Instead, um, it from birth. This man has never had an opportunity to walk. Luke, the physicians carefully describe in the situation and this man has never felt the wonder of leaping for joy which he will very momentarily. Well, in our time, 40 minutes. Um, he's never felt the wonder of running as fast. Remember when you're a kid and you would just run as fast as you can. Just go outside and I'm just going to run. I was, walk- <laughs> I was walking with my son yesterday. He goes, Dad, I can run 25 miles an hour. And I was like, no, you can't. You can't run 25 miles an hour. Like, you, you maybe can top six, but you can't, I can, I can do 25 miles an hour. I was like, no, you can't. But remember like what that was like? He's never felt the wonder of this. He's never felt the wonder of diving into a lake and just swimming around, um, using the body as the God has designed it. All of his life, all of his life was one of dependency on other people to bring him to have food, to bring him to be able to eat, for him to be able to do anything all of his life was one of absolute dependency on others. So there's a, there's a principle for us then, for people that are marginalized. Now, I'm going to read a verse, and I know it doesn't necessarily deal straight with the, these, these um, marginalized people that are crippled from birth or lame from birth, but 
let this first kind of be in your, in your background. As Christians, this should, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. This is what our life should look like as believers. To visit the orphan, um, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I know that's dealing with orphans and widows, but still the principle is the same. Those that are marginalized, those that are, life is more difficult. God has called us to be more thoughtful of them, mindful of them, and considering them and being there for them. Here, for this particular person, it's a man that's congenital, um, a congenital cripple, lame from birth, has never not been crippled his entire life. And it says, a man lame from birth was carried, was being carried whom they, that's his friends and family presumably, laid him daily at the gate of the temple. That is um, called the beautiful gate. There are multiple gates, but they would lay him at this particular gate. Now they would lay him at the gate of the temple, never to go in, at the gate of the temple. And this particular is called the beautiful gate. R.C. Sproul describes this. He's reading Josephus. Josephus was a first century historian, not a Christian, had no reason to write history that would benefit Christians. He just wrote history. R.C. Sproul explaining us what Josephus said. He said, all the doors and gates of the temple were complex, huge, beautiful. But this particular gate was different than all of them. It was called the beautiful gate because it was so ornate. It was made of bronze in its interior and it was covered on its exterior completely with silver and gold. It was a portico of magnificent opulence. opulence. Next to that symbol of wealth and opulence, the man's friends would lay this poor beggar so that the people that would walk by would see the huge contrast between the two of this ornate gate and gold and silver with this beggar beside it. So that, he writes, so that they would be moved to compassion by his pitiable, pitiable condition and give him alms. So they laid him intentionally at the most beautiful gate so that when you're walking by, you'd say, I, I got to help this guy. Look at this. Look at him just compared to the door. So they would lay him daily at the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering into the temple. Now, here's where it gets quite interesting. See, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. So they're walking and the man asks for alms. And here are the men walking um, with, the, with the Lord Christ, filled with the Spirit, um, living out their faith daily. They hear him. And this is where, I mean, it's just so, it's so rich. Verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. This was not a common occurrence. Outcasts, marginalized, didn't get eye contact. And so you have immediately Peter and John treating this man as an equal. Not someone who's below, that you're below me and maybe I'll help you. Maybe I'll throw some change in your direction and keep my... Instead, immediately, this is what he says. Peter directed his gaze and said, as to John and they said, look at us. Look at us. N- not an invitation this man had received very often. Probably never. Maybe just his family and friends. He wants money. And they're offering more. He doesn't think it's more. But first it's, look at us. Look me in the eye. You're, you're not below me. And I'm not above you. Seeing the imago Dei, the image of God in this man, the fact that he is equal in dignity, value, and worth. He's no different than them. And Peter and John recognize this. They, they know Genesis 1. They look at him and they say, hey, look at us. 
look us right in the eye. And it says, and he fixed his attention on them. Now, he's expecting to receive something. But let's, let's stop there. He's wanting an immediate need to be fulfilled. But before that even happens, which we're going to get to that in a second, Peter and John are engaging him at his imago day level. Equal in dignity and value and worth. They're not acting like they're better. They're not above him. They're not treating like him below. Instead, they're saying, look at me. Look me right in the eyes. We want to engage you. We don't want to act like we're better than you because we're not. It could, it could have just been that in the Lord's sovereignty, I could be there and you could be here. You could be walking around and I could be begging for alms. That's the same with all of us. Peter and John recognize this. So they want to engage the marginalized. So first, if we're going to um, live on mission for Jesus, join Jesus on mission, the first thing is that we need to be walking with Christ ourselves. The second thing is there needs to be a deep understanding within us that we should want to engage the marginalized because we see them as equals. We see the Imago Dei in them, the image of God. We notice that there's, there's no difference in them and us and we could have easily been in that state and they could be in ours. And so the second thing is before we get into meeting needs, the desire, the deep down desire, not because God said I got to do it. Well, I guess I got, no, but instead because of what Christ has done for me, He took me from my helpless state where I was absolutely done for and lifted me up and healed me spiritually. And in the same way, everybody is in need of my attention. Everybody, I should say, um, is, is somebody that I should want to help because of what Christ has done for me. And I'm not saying that they're below me and I'm not saying that I'm above them. As a matter of fact, we are equal. In the eyes of God, we're equal and I treat them as equal. So the first thing is that we walk with Christ. The second thing is that we engage our own hearts. And we talk about um, to ourselves what Christ has done. And that grows our emotion and our affections for Jesus and grows our desire to actually want to help the marginalized. So when we're walking by and someone asks for help, we just don't say, you're all right, somebody else will help. We don't say, yeah, there's another church down the road or somebody else will get that. Or I trust the Lord. Somebody. Instead, we want to help. We see opportunities as an opportunity because we want to be there that we're going to do something. We're going to engage. Now, I am encouraged by Remedy Church over the last seven years and in our, in our uh, ability to reach out. I think that when opportunities come, I don't think we just say someone else can do that. We're not going to take care of that. I don't have the means we, we think, I think, pretty well um, about what we can do. We're honest what we can do, and we, we do what we can. But there's always room for growth. So uh, in a way that's not um, saying, hey, we got to get this together. I think we're doing well. But let's just ask this one question. Uh, and I think that this one question will help us all um, think more deeply about how we can help, how we can engage, how we, we can at least increase our want is this. What would an increase in your family or your community group or even the church as a whole, what would an increase in our engagement with the marginalized look like? What measure could change for you? Surely all of us could increase our engagement with the marginalized, even if it's slightly, in our family, our community group, or church-wide. So just I want you to think about that. Think, what would for me and our family and our community group, what would... an 
a slight increase of engagement with the marginalized look like? What would it cost? How could we do it? Is it possible? Should we? Could we? It, who are the major players in our group and our family that could contribute to this? Who are the thinkers? Um, who are the people that maybe God's called us to? Are we already doing it? Could we do more? I think that if we just think that way and realize that there's a whole lot more opportunity, not that we're doing bad. I think that we're doing really well. But there's always room for growth. And let's ask those questions and think about where we could do more. So the first is that we need to be walking with Jesus. The second is that we must really want to engage the marginalized. If you don't, I mean, this is the, maybe the most, most blunt way to say this. If you don't want to engage the marginalized, you will never engage the marginalized. Never. And that's who Christ calls his church to serve the most. The most. All right. So back into the story. You can just put yourself in the place of this man. The only way that I can get out of this, the only way I can eat today is if people give me money. I, I need food. I need, I'm asking for alms. This is my, my only mindset of the way things can happen uh, for me is that people give me money. And the man says, look at me right in the eyes. And you're like, okay, this is going to be good. I mean, he didn't just throw change at me. He's getting, he's wanting me to look. So this is, you know, we're talking a, a step up from a $5 bill maybe to a 20 who knows what's about to happen? Something's about to happen. And Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any money. <laughs> Come on. I don't have any silver and gold. Don't have anything. But, but, Peter is going to give him something infinitely better than he thought. Infinitely better. This man had such a small um, understanding of what he needed that he thought just giving me some money is what I need. But Peter is going to <laughs> blow this man's mind. Like what you need is that, sure, but I'm going to give you way more than you could ever conceive. So no, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, um, we need to be careful here because... It's the name of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself working through Peter that heals this. It's not Peter. Peter is not the healer of this man. The reason why this man is healed is because Jesus healed this man through Peter. And it's the proclamation of the name of Jesus Christ that heals this man. Now, let's take one little step back and think about this. You're Peter. You've never done this before. I mean... Just one chapter ago, you just got the spirit, right? Now, this is kind of a bold step. You know, Jesus did this. I followed him around for three years. I'm filled with the spirit. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go for it. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get up and walk. So it's all pointing to Christ's glory. Just, just consider with me this major exercise of faith that Peter puts in to this work. Like, I don't have any money, but I'm going to go for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to heal this guy. I'm going to try. Get up. That's a huge, huge exercise of faith. Now, I'm not saying that you might do that. I'm not saying that. But the measure of faith that Peter exercises is certainly something that you can do. Certainly something that you can do when it comes to helping people. 
This is a huge measure of faith that Peter's exercising, that what he's going to do just might work. And it does. All for Christ's glory, all because of Jesus. So the measure of faith that Peter exercises is a, is a real um, pointer for us to say, that's what I need to do. Now, Peter says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And then he takes him by the right hand. So we've got two cultural uh, things being broken here, which are just beautiful. Number one, look at me in the eye. Look me right in the eye. You're equal. There's nothing different about you than me. I love you and I respect you. And then those that are crippled, outcasts, don't get, don't get much help. Peter takes him by his right hand and lifts him up. Just two amazingly beautiful, caring things that, that he puts on display. Now, Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 3, the Spirit-filled church, the people of the church are imparting what they have. What I have, I do give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Um, Luke is intentionally pointing us over uh, to Acts 2, where they're filled with the, the, uh, the Spirit, so that you understand the entire book of Acts that happens after that is because the church has been filled with the Spirit. Because they've been filled with the Spirit, the rest of the book of Acts is actually possible. If Acts chapter 2 was Acts chapter 27, we just have a bunch of guys just kind of doing whatever. It has to be in Acts chapter 2 for them to have these extraordinary things that the Lord's doing with them. Now, Peter does something absolutely unexpected. The man would have been absolutely satisfied if Peter would have said, let me take you over to the subway, get you a cold cut combo and send you back over here and then you're, back, you're good. But Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't meet him at just the level or the stage that this man is wanting. He's going to do something radically more. Peter didn't just help him for that one day. Peter helps him for all of his days. This man goes directly from a beggar all the way to an instant contributing member worker of society, able to earn his own food for the rest of his life. That is a radical transformation in meeting his physical need. And this is what we should be shooting for whenever we as a church want to help people. Sure, there are times to help people in the way that they want to be helped, walking them over to the subway and buying the $5 meal. Or we can be like Peter and change them from a one-day help to an entire lifetime help. Maybe you're able to employ somebody, not just get them a sandwich, but give them a job. There's a major difference in reaching, so when we say reaching physical needs, there's a large continuum from kind of first level all the way up of ways that we can help people. As a matter of fact, um, John Stott, he's a uh, theologian from England. He, he says this, and I think this is, this is helpful for us when we think about meeting physical needs. Because the ultimate goal in meeting any kind of mercy ministry, as we say, um, the purpose of the church is to, to reach the people outside the church in a two-pronged manner, mercy ministries and evangelism. John Stott says this, there will certainly be times when a person's material need is so pressing that they would not even be able to hear the gospel if we shared it with them. They're so hungry that when you try to share the gospel, they're going to say anything you want. You want yes, I want Jesus as you're holding the pizza in front of them. Yes, I, Jesus, yes. Okay, thank you. All right, and they eat. Right. So 
or their child is sick. And whatever you say, if they think that you can help their child, uh uh-huh, yep, whatever, yep, sure, yep, okay, now help my child. So the material need for them is so pressing that they really won't be able to hear the gospel until, uh, even if it's shared with them. So we want to reach them with their mercy ministry, physical need, and then talk to them about Christ. This is biblical. There's ample illustrations all over the Bible. Now, there's a couple books I'll point you to. I think they're helpful to think about this, um, meeting physical needs, this continuum I talked about. One's called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Another one's called When Helping Hurts by Brian Fickert. And uh, the other guy's name's Colbert, I think. I have it written down here. Steve Corbett. Corbett. Corbett always gets left out in academic. Whenever they mention When Helping Hurts, they're like, Fickert. Poor Corbett. Maybe he did a lot of work, but he never gets mentioned. Uh, Anyway, so they have these two books. um, And I think they're helpful because they kind of talk about the continuum. And, and they, they both have like three different levels. Keller says relief, develop, reform. Fickert says relief, rehabilitation, development. Basically, it's this. Um, the first level is helping them for the day. That's the, uh, the relief one, helping them for the day. But then there's like a second level, which is what Peter actually engages in. Peter is not helping them for the day, but helping this one individual for his entire life. I have radically changed this individual's life completely. I didn't just help him for this day that he's hungry. I have transformed his life that he can now be a contributing member of society and he can help himself for the rest of his life. That's the second level. And that's giving someone a job, etc., getting them back on their feet so that they can take care of themselves. But then there's a third level. Um, Peter does not do this. Jesus did this. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. did this. This is not just like the ones helping, helping an individual for the day. The second is helping that individual um, for their entire lifetime. The third is actually um, transforming an entire society, a systemic change that helps all people like that be lifted out of this marginalization. MLK, that's what he did in segregation, took an entire system and changed it so that all African Americans were helped. Um, that's the third level, that, that reform or development. Um, again, some of you might be able to do that as attorneys. You might be able to fight against injustice and change something completely. Some of you might be nurses that know how to help all people that might be marginalized in regard to a certain thing and pull them out, at least in a citywide. So uh, some of you might be able to do this. Not all of us can. Most of us can still deal with helping someone immediately and helping someone with their entire life so that they can, can help themselves now. So whenever we say we want to help people physically like Peter does, I want you to think more broadly than just, yeah, I can take them down to Subway, get them five bucks, and, you know, grab them a cold cut combo and get out of there and I help them. We want to do more than that we can. So when he says, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you, we need to explore, I think, as Christians, as community groups, as families, as a church, more deeply when he says, but what I do have I give you, Explore that more deeply. What do you have? So, joining Jesus on mission. First one is we need to be walking with Christ. The second one is we need to already have a deep desire to want to help people. Third one is this. We look to meet all the physical needs that you're able to. Not not just that you can for that moment. That you're able to. That takes more time. That takes more thought. That takes more consideration. It certainly is going to put you um, out. It's going to require you to be around this particular person more. That's why we have number two, want. If you want, you'll do this. If you don't want, you'll throw five bucks at them. Look to meet all the physical needs that you are able to in order to meet their spiritual needs. So 
what are you able to do in order to meet their physical needs? I think that um, we're able to likely help people the way that Peter does, make true lifetime changes with people and not just a daily change. I think that we are. We're, we're much more capable of it than we think. I think, and I'm guilty of this, we think commonly on how to change someone's day. But I think we could think more deeply on how to change someone's life. Both are fine. Both are good. Jesus calls us to both. When, if, you, if you do buy someone a, a lunch at Subway today or whatever, don't be like, well, Fudge just said that's kind of stinky. Like, I'm not saying that. That could be exactly what the Lord wants you to do, Right? But let's think more deeply on how we can not just affect someone's day, but someone's life. The Lord has called us to meet, like Peter does, change their life. Now, I want you to see the gospel in this. This is amazing. Um, rise up and walk. Imagine if you are now, not just Peter and the major exercise of faith that he had to have. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can heal this guy. I mean, Jesus did it. Let me give it a shot. I walked on water for a split second. Maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can heal him too. All right. Now put yourself in the hearer's ears. Lame from birth. Never run. Never even gave it a shot to run 25 miles an hour. You, you never swam. You never jumped. You never did anything. And a man that you never met looks at you and says, get up and walk right now. Get up and walk. Imagine how he hears this. What? Peter tells this man to do something that he absolutely lacked the power to do. He commanded him to do the impossible, what he is absolutely incapable of doing. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And this is the gospel. In a very similar way, the gospel comes to us and commands us to turn from sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Something that we are absolutely incapable of doing in and of ourselves. And yet Christ empowers us, fills us with faith, gives us the faith to trust in him, repent from sin, turn and believe. So as this man physically is healed, that's what the gospel has done for us where we are absolutely incapable. God is capable. Where it's impossible for us, it's possible for God. As Derek Thomas says, looking at this, the Lord of creation was at work here. As the lame man rose to his feet for the first time and then leapt into the air, nothing short of life-generating power was evident. That's the same thing that happens with us, the gospel. The Lord of creation is at work with us. And we are the lame man incapable of changing. And yet the Lord comes and takes us up and raises up us up off of our feet. And now we leap for spiritual joy because we've been saved. And nothing short of life-generating power has been given to us. This is what the gospel has done for us. Now, he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. Now, Dr. Luke, pointing out that he was congenitally, um, if I'm saying that word right, lame, now says immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. I mean, immediately, this man who has never been able to do this, all of a sudden is able to use his legs. And he doesn't just kind of, you know, take it slow, right? Leaping up, 
he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. That is an amazing picture. It's an amazing picture of someone who has been changed by, by God. This is the, the, um, the outcoming, or this is what we want to see whenever we reach people. That the, the change is so radical that they are lame on the ground and then standing and leaping and joyful and praising not us, but God. That's the kind of amazing shift we want to see happen in people's lives, which is why I say we're able to do all that we're able to do. Not just something for the day, but for the life. And if we're able to do something for the life, a major change will happen in their life. And the expressive nature that this man has is one that's clearly something that's not just something that happened for the day, but for his life. And he tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ is how this is going to happen. No one else can do it but Jesus. So the Spirit-filled church imparts healing to this particular man. The Spirit-filled church also imparts joy to this particular man. The Spirit-filled church imparts all that it can to this particular man. And now we go into where we've seen his physical need has been met. And I'm going to argue, not only has his spiritual need, his physical need been met, but also his, the greatest need he has, which is his need for Christ. So if we only do mercy ministries, then we make their life better for 75 years, 80. I've said this countless amounts of times, but that's not all we want to do because eternity is way longer than 75 years. So we also desperately want to change their eternity. So as we meet physical needs, we must address their greatest need, their spiritual need, which is salvation in Christ alone. And I'm going to argue that's what happens here. His physical need was met. Now he's ready for his spiritual need. And I have reason to believe from the text that Peter didn't just help out with his physical need, but also his need for Christ. Which is why he says, and Luke writes in verse 8 and in verse 9 twice, this man is walking and leaping and praising God. In verse 9, it says all the people saw this because he's walking and praising God. I think that a spiritual change has happened because if it hadn't, he would be walking and leaping and praising Peter. Everybody, this guy healed me. This guy, Peter, he's the best. You remember he preached to everybody, Peter. That's not what he does. Verse 7, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. So this man's cognizant of the fact that it's Christ that saved him. Perhaps he heard of Peter's sermon. Maybe he wasn't there. Perhaps he heard of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. The the puzzle pieces are being put together. We're going to see the sermon right after this too, where Peter definitely tells him about everyone's need to have for Christ. But I believe this man not only was helped physically, but also was saved. He met God that day. So he's praising God. And in the name of Jesus, this man already equates Jesus as God. Walking and praising God. Now, there's one little thing in the text that um, you maybe have kind of breezed by. And I want you to make sure you see this jewel, this beautiful thing here of just how radically changed this man's life was. Leviticus chapter 21, verses 17 through 20, forbids those with deformities and partaking of the temple rituals. The furthest this man ever had gone was only the gate. Never 
had he entered into the temple, into the presence of the Lord. So when Peter heals him, notice immediately where this man goes. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them. This man's life wasn't just changed physically, but immediately his spiritual life has changed and he is able to go where he has never gone before, never has been into the temple, never into the presence of the Lord and goes into the temple of the Lord before the presence of the Lord. And how is he doing it? Jumping and leaping and praising God. (laughs) Peter radically changed this man's life. Jesus did through Peter. Not only was he healed, immediately, this man is invited into the presence of God. And how does he go? Reluctantly? No. No, no. This man is running, leaping, and praising God as he goes into the presence where he's never gotten to go before. Derek Thomas says he had never walked his entire life, but more especially, he had never walked beyond this gate into the presence of God. And this man does. So, the fourth keynote, or if you will, note or key of joining Jesus on mission is not just that we have to walk with Jesus ourselves, not just that we have to have a desire, not just that we also meet physical needs, but the fourth one, we point them to Jesus and their need for him. That's what, this, that's what Peter does. And this man walks into the presence of God immediately. We point them to Jesus. Now, the pointing them to Jesus, just as a reminder, the the, the church, when we go, we do mercy ministries and evangelism. So this evangelism side, if you want to know what that looks like, I'll I'll point you over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, we'll start at 17. And by the way, I should say, I am a, huge fan of 2 Corinthians 5. I will likely cross-reference this once a month. Um, Chapters 4 and chapters 5 of 2 Corinthians are just beautiful. Maybe some of my favorite um, chapters in the Bible. But here is um, a a description of that evangelistic piece of the ministry of the church. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. What's happened to you and since what's happened to you causes you to do this. So verse 17, therefore, if anyone is a new Christ, he's a new creation. So because now you are old man, but now you're a new creation, God has declared you a new creation. You have now gotten the opportunity to join in something that he's already doing, namely reconciling other people. Here it is. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And since that's happened to you, all that happened to you is from God, who through Christ is reconciling to himself um, the whole world. And now you individual Christian that has been, has been declared a new creation, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God reconciling the world, you are part of that ministry, calling those who are lost into favor, into relationship with Jesus. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, if you are a sinner, he's not going to count your trespasses against you if you would trust in Christ. Instead, he's entrusting to us this message. 
this message that Christ will not count your trespasses against you, but you can be forgiven. And here it is, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Our home is heaven, but we've been sent out to live here on earth. This is not our home, but we're ambassadors here. And this is where it gets awesome. Ambassadors for Christ. Here it is. Every time you tell the gospel, the Bible says it this way. God making his appeal through you. Verse 20. God making his appeal through us. When you say the gospel to someone, it's literally God making an appeal through you to them. It's not you. It's God making an appeal through you. And here's what you're saying. The end of verse 20. We implore you, those who don't know Jesus, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. You can have your trespasses not counted against you. (coughs) How is that possible? Verse 21. For our sake. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Jesus became sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We might now become, because he became sin, we get to be called righteous. It was that he's righteous and we're sinful. And he made Jesus to become sin so that the transfer happens and your sin won't be counted against you. And you can be counted now as the righteousness of God. That's the evangelism piece. That we point them to Jesus and their need for him. And the beautiful thing is, it's God making his appeal through you. We plead with you, be reconciled to God. You'll do this if you want to reach these people. If you don't, we'll just, and I'm bent this way, we'll just go on our merry way not thinking about it so here's the question what will this cost you what will this cost you there's a lot of verses we could look at what would it cost you to join Jesus on mission I'll read this verse Matthew 6 19 through 21 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when I ask what does it cost, every one of us immediately starts thinking in monetary terms. What will it cost me? I'm not talking about dollars. God's not dealing in the category of money. What will it cost you? Cost you what your heart treasures. We're talking about your heart here, not money. It will cost you your soul. It will cost you your heart. That's what it would have cost. Where your heart treasures, or where your where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the, the money part of it isn't necessarily, I think, the emphasis. It's your heart. What's your heart want to do? Does it want to join Jesus on mission? Does it want to walk with Jesus? Does it want to want to be with people? Does it want to meet their physical need? Does it want to just meet the daily need? Or does it want to take the time to get to know them to change their life? Does it want to point them to Christ, their only hope? 
the Spirit-filled church wants to point the world to the Savior. He wants, we want to point the world to the Savior. So, as we're about to go into a time of response, let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe your spiritual state is like this man's physical state. His physical state is he could not do anything. He had no hope. He was completely dependent. Maybe that's how you are spiritually. You have no hope. And what you need is Christ. And I invite you to trust in Christ today by faith to be forgiven for your sin and to get be given his righteousness. And this is only given to you, only given to you by Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection for us. So like this man who needed to be healed physically, you need to be healed spiritually. Maybe there's this. I want you to notice this benefit of us doing local missions. I want you to notice the benefit of us as the church being the church. If we do what the church should do, Ephesians 3.10, put on display the manifold wisdom of God, reaching those who don't know Christ, mercy, physical needs, and spiritual needs. Tell them about Christ. Notice this. Leaping, he stood and he walked into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And watch this. All the people there saw him walking and praising God. Other people around watching the church, being the church. And they recognized him as the one who sat over at the beautiful gate of the temple. And that always asked for alms. And what happens? They're filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. The secondary benefits of us being the church are those around seeing the church being the church. And if they're Christians, they can say, huh, I can do that. God used him to do that. I can do that. I've never even thought that way. I could, I could do those things. And then the, the church is enlarging in the city of Rock Hill and, and York County. And the church is doing more things. And if they're not a Christian and they're filled with wonder and amazement, then they're being pointed straight to Christ. And they have an amazing opportunity now to put their faith in Jesus. When the church is the church, the secondary benefits of those around seeing is amazing. We're not doing it so that people say, oh, look at you. It's about Jesus here. But certainly as we are the church and they see that, if they are Christians, they're encouraged to start doing that themselves. And if they're not, they, they will wonder. They will ask questions eventually. So, maybe you've been living out of sync with a proper view of how the church should be. You don't mean to. You want to. You just haven't broadened your mind in category to th- categories to think about it. And this has given you more, um, more insight on how you can start doing this. And so maybe during this response time, you just need to think and pray and say, Lord, I, I know ways that I can, I can practice mercy ministries and evangelism better. And maybe you just need to grow in that, confess that and stand and, and worship. Wherever you are, I invite you as the Holy Spirit is leading to worship God like this man does. You want to jump in praise? That's fine. 
But at least this, with the heart behind the way he's worshiping, I want you to worship with that kind of heart. It may not mean that you jump. But at least you can worship with the same heart that this man has as they go into a time of worship. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. We thank you for your word. I pray that this text on joining you on mission would would have lasting impact in our church and that we would see much fruit from it. I pray for us, God, that we would walk with you daily and that as we walk with you daily, we would have a deep love for you and it would affect the way we see opportunities. And as those opportunities come, God, that we would want to reach the marginalized. We wouldn't just see it as a duty. We would see it as something that we want to do. And God, as you give us opportunities, that we would, we would think deeply about how we can meet this physical need. What are the ways that we can meet these people's physical need? And if there's a deeper, longer lasting way to do it, I pray that we wouldn't shy away from it because it might be harder, but that we would, with everything we can, try to meet that need. Pull in our family, pull in our community group, pull in our church and get help, not think we have to do it by ourselves. And Lord, as we do that, I pray that we would point people to Jesus, that they would see that the greatest need they have is the forgiveness of sin and that you would save them. I pray that we would count the cost, that we would lay up treasures in heaven and not treasures here. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.